be here with you guys. First Timothy chapter 3, today's title is Desiring to be a Leader. Desire to be a Leader. So we're going through the book of Timothy, and now we're on chapter 3. There's a lot to get into today. So let's just get into reading it, and then we'll apply it to our lives. And Nancy, would you grab me a 201 book as well, please? Thank you. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Everybody say a noble task. You see, you have to desire to be an overseer. That word is bishop in in the King James, NIV, overseer, also elder. It's interchangeable with the other word presbyter, episkopos in the Greek, presbytos in the Greek, elder, presbyter. They're interchangeable, and we just look at it as a leader. That's just the word we say as a leader. Can everybody say leader? Amen. So if you are wanting to be a leader, if you have desire to be a leader, you desire a noble task. So it's noble. That means it's a good thing. That means it's going to be a challenge as a task, but it's going to be worth the work you put into it, a noble task. It is not a mundane task, just going through the motions. It is not a disgusting task. It is a noble task. Are you with me? And it's not a noble trip to Disney World. It is not a noble uh, trip to your favorite amusement park. It is noble. It is uplifting. People will look up to you. People will acknowledge what you're doing as a good thing, but then it is a task nonetheless. It is work. So to be a leader, you have to desire to be a leader. And when you want to be a leader, you do it for the right reasons to be a great example of Christ and get to work in the kingdom. Can you say a noble task? Come on, somebody. Verse two. Now the overseer, as we're going to see in this uh, NIV using the word overseer. Now the overseer, I just lost my space. The devil's a liar. Everybody say the devil's a liar. Man, I think I'm so slick sometimes using my phone and then I just lose it all. I just the momentum goes away. The Holy Spirit's going to have to come back now. I don't know what button I just pushed there. Lord, help me. First Timothy chapter 3. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that he, his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited. Look at your neighbor and so don't say, don't get conceited. Amen. I had to stop for that one and may become conceited and fall under the same judgment of the devil. Look at your neighbor and say, El Diablo, Mui Mall. The devil is very bad. Verse 7, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now, deacons, dekanos, the word there means servant. Everybody say servant. We see this happening first in um, uh, Jared, what is it, Acts chapter 6? Acts 6, we see the, uh, the uh, ordaining of seven, which is the first time we see the word deacon used. The apostle said we must devote ourselves to prayer and study of the word. We don't have time to wait on tables and decide matters between the Grecian and Hebraic Jews. They said, go among yourselves, appoint seven, and they will serve and wait on tables. The word wait, serve is dekanos, okay? So when we say deacons, we're not talking about just this idea of you now voting in the pastor and deacon around somewhere. We're talking about you serving being a waiter in the church. Are you listening to me? So we got leaders overseas being elders and deacons being servants. Now, of course, we're all supposed to be servants. Never forget that. Amen. But in the role here, here you have the elders leading and the servants following their lead. Are you with me? 
But nonetheless, they still have great giftings and callings because as you see among the seven, and as I was praying, you see that Stephen was a great evangelist, preached, was, was stoned to death for his powerful message. Philip eventually went to Samaria called Shikabumba Revival, amen, and he cast out devils. But what did he do once he got there? He called in his leaders, his elders, to, to lay hands on them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and to establish a church as the Bible says, upon the apostles and prophets. So the deacon, he wasn't deacon around, but he was doing something great for God. But he still needed the elders to come. Are you with me? <laughs> Excuse me. Okay. So he has a great call on his life, but in the regard to the church, he's a servant to the elders. Now look at verse 8. Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere. Now the word likewise means that everything that just applied to an elder also applies to a deacon. Likewise, likewise, everything I just said now applies to you guys as well. But because the Bible loves to repeat itself because sometimes we don't get it the first time, he now draws out the similarities and the emphasis, he puts emphasis on the things he wants them to know. And note that he also brings in the wives at this point, which we would also apply back to the elders, meaning that elders can have wives that serve with them and deacons can have wives that serve with them. We talked about female leadership last week, which we believe in. Women can be elders and deacons. But particularly right here, even in a culture that degraded women as a whole, did not give them the right to vote. A, a child in the synagogue had more rights than a woman in the synagogue. Here we see that the wife is put along as a couple, as a team, right alongside of the deacon. And we would assume that would apply to the elder. And who else do we see that with in the Bible? With, uh, with, with Junia and uh, Andronicus as a fellow apostles with Paul in Romans. And then uh, Priscilla and Aquila, we also see that they were a team as well, raising up Apollo. Can you say amen? Thank you. Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in must wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Verse 11, what I noted before. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious, talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well, gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, let me just keep reading on to 16, but from 14 onward will be another message talking about the mystery of Christ next week, Lord willing. Amen. But let me just finish it because it's still applying to the same context. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Then he goes into verse 16, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. We don't have time for the mystery of, of godliness, the mystery of Christ. Like I said, we'll talk about that next week. But what I want to do with you now is I want to go over the qualifications of being an elder and a deacon. And so what I did in the 201, many of you guys already know this, you have done it, but for the sake of those joining in the webcast, I want to make sure that I go through this with you because that's why you're here in Bible college is to be trained up to be a leader. Amen. So we're not just talking about, well, if you like uh, our church or if you're, you know, a good singer or if you're multi-talented, you can become a leader. No, this is what you must do to become a leader. And in our church, particularly, we start people off as deacons, servants, so that they then can become elders. Amen? So I am now going to preach how many points sermon to you today. Let's get on it. I'm going to now preach to you a 14-point sermon. If you're ready, look at your neighbor and say, get ready, get ready, get ready. 
Okay, write these down. Number one, you must be above reproach. Above reproach. Reproach is talking about good standing with the church, and nothing can be seen in you from the Bible that would prove you of sin or error. Now, you might say, Pastor, why didn't he just say be perfect? The difference between being perfect and above reproach is this. Perfect would say you make no mistakes. Above reproach says the mistakes you've made, you have a clear conscience now before God and man because you've repented before God and man in the mistakes you've made. So I am a minister of God by his grace without, a, or without reproach for the last 15 years. That means when anybody has approached me about sin, whether it be leaders, whether it be peers, when they approached me about it, I repented, I made it right, and I kept on the journey. So now today, if you were to say, well, Joe did such and such back then, that's in the past. I've been forgiven. I've moved on past that. He's not saying I have to be perfect. He's just saying I have to be forgiven and have moved past it in my character. So I'm not the same person that I used to be. So that's how you have to apply it to yourself today. You need to be above reproach. We cannot look at your life today and find a continuation of sin, willful sin in your life. I believe in 1 John when it says that you cannot go on willfully sinning, having received the knowledge of the truth. Also in Hebrews chapter 10, if you deliberately go on sinning after having uh, received the knowledge of the truth, there's therefore no sacrifice for sins. See, I understand Christianity to be an instantaneous sanctification and justification of who you are, but then an ongoing sanctification as the assemblies of God and we have in our 16 uh, fundamental doctrines. Sanctification, cleansing happens at the moment of salvation, but then is a continuing process for the rest of your life. Even Paul in Philippians chapter 3 said, I have not been yet made perfect. But that is what he's talking about in his practical life. He doesn't act perfect in his practical life. But in his nature, he has a perfect nature. He has been sanctified. He has been given a new nature. I don't believe you now as a Christian are schizophrenic. I don't believe you have two natures within you. I believe the battle of your flesh and the battle of the sinful nature is of your past in your mind. But in the standing in who you are before God, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I believe that today the sinful body was crucified with Christ. And when you come to Jesus, you are not given the old sinful nature, but the new nature by the Spirit, which brings life. That's Romans chapter 7 and 8, not just chapter 7 where he says, I do the things that I, used to, I, I can't do. I do the things I don't want to do. And the things I want to do are the things that I do. This confusion is Paul living in the flesh without the redemption of the spirit. So today you don't have an excuse saying, well, I was born a sinner. That's why I keep on sinning. No, baby, you were born again a child of God. Live by who you are. And if you don't live by who you are, then you are going to live like a sinner and you are going to bring reproach against yourself and you won't be an effective leader because the people around you will see your faults and your failures and they're not changing or being given repentance. So just like Sunday with Adam, I repented for doing something as, a, as, as, as wrong to Adam in front of the congregation. So I'm above reproach. So nobody can go around and say, you see, Joe lied. Joe, Joe said something that wasn't true to Adam regarding tithes and offerings. You know, when we were talking about that, that at that time, you can't say that. Why? Because I've repented. And you can't say that the problems that are in my character, that I'm learning to walk in the newness of Christ, say the three that are my major areas that I have to renew my mind in is my temper, is lust after, you know, the flesh, and then uh, the pride of life. Those three things for me personally is I can be easily angered, I can have a lust in my mind, and I can become prideful. 
those three things, the only way that I can still minister here in, in this pulpit, in this holy place, is because those things have been washed of the blood, and I am being transformed in those things. And if you tried to point them out as my failures, you would not be able to because I'm above reproach. You might say, well, that's his weakness. That's where we see him stumble in. That's where we see him make mistakes in. But do I repent of those things? Do I keep going? So do those things disqualify me from the race? No. But there are things right here that do disqualify me from the race. If I don't manage my household well, that will disqualify me. So if you today are not perfect, you're still qualified for, to being a leader. You just need to be above reproach. That means there's no hidden sin. There's no continual sin. The things that God has spoken to you through your leaders and your own private time, you're dealing with it. It's under the blood. Otherwise, nobody would be preaching except the angel Gabriel coming from heaven. Amen? Because we would say today, welcome to Metro Praise. Welcome to SU and welcome to Kenosha First Assembly. Here's your pastor, everybody, all the way from the gates of heaven. Give it up for Gabriel. <laughs> you know, you know how it works because nobody would be able to be a pastor then. Are you with me? Okay, say amen. Point number one is covered. Let's go to point number two. Come on, only 13 more to go. Let's go, baby. 15 minutes. Jesus, one a minute. I don't know if that's happening. Husband of one wife. Elders and deacons cannot be polygamous or have an unbiblical divorce. That's what I personally believe. The Assemblies of God has wrestled with that. But we know in this way, beyond shadow of a doubt, that it outlaws polygamy. There is no way polygamy, sister wives, if you've seen that show on TLC, with the man who's married to three wives, my wife and I had to stop watching it. It gave us nightmares. But it was just nuts what, what's going on. TLC, the same one that has the Duggars and K plus 8, you know, has a polygamous family Mormon on there. And you know me loving the cults and wanting to reach out. I was curious, but it gave us nightmares. You know what I'm saying? And so we don't mess with that show anymore. Amen? So you cannot be polygamous. Now, some people right here, and I don't have time to bring up every objection, but some people would, would say right here, he cannot be a married person. Uh, he cannot be a single person. He has to be a married person. The problem with that is, is that Paul wasn't married and he was writing it. <laughs> Timothy, who was receiving it, wasn't married. And so, therefore, that does not apply here. What he's saying is, if anybody does get married, this is how they have to get married. They cannot be homosexual. They cannot be uh, polyandry they cannot be a polygamous and i'm sure somewhere if we investigated more they couldn't be bi-curious anyways can you say amen how many know we need a sexual purity in in the church again amen okay a revolution of sexual purity moving on to number three temperate everybody go ooh. so that one's a little bit more difficult this is this is not saying you have to, you know, to be an elder, you cast out devils, you run around the church, you go to foreign mission fields, you prophesy. This is something that is deep. It's right on the inside, temperate. And what it means to be temperate is that you must have all of your emotions under control and have an even keel, a balanced emotional life. So that as we get into self-control, self-control can also deal with your emotions. But in this context, I believe self-control is going to deal with more of our habits and eating habits and addictions and the things that we do in the external world. But the temperance that the Bible is talking about, I believe, is a balanced emotional life. So, ladies, when that time of the month comes by, you cannot be acting crazy in the church as a leader because some people are going to wonder what's wrong with you. You know what I'm saying? I'm just upset with everybody. I just don't know why. I'm just, I just don't get it. I'm just so mad. You know what I'm saying? Or they just come in, they're just so depressed. Nobody loves me. 
I learned that because my wife can be like that in the house, but she's learned not to be like that in the ministry. And I'm just teasing all the women, said, help him, Lord. Okay, now women, we love you. Now men, you got to be the same way. We don't have emotional hormones that t- dictate the way we are, but we still have to be temperate. Everybody needs to have an even keel. So for me, this is my even keel, passionate, you know, an outspoken person. If I came passionate one day and the next day depressed, that's like the uh, symptoms of what they call bipolar, up and down. You'd say, oh, I wonder how he's going to be today. We don't want to have leaders where they say, I wonder how he's going to be today. He's going to be nice pastor. He's going to be mean pastor. Is he going to be fun pastor or is he going to be angry pastor? We want to be temperate. We want to be even keel. Amen. If you've been following and tracking with my life for a while, you pretty much can draw a circle around my personality and say this is the balance of how he lives in a personality. You don't see me go outside of that. And that's the same thing. You don't want to have super depressive moments. You don't want to be so crazy ADHD running around the church. Everybody thinks you're nuts. You want to have an even keel, okay? Everybody say temperate. Amen. Now self-control, number four is what I was uh, referring to, that this it comes to your actions. And I believe it's to avoid addictions of any kind. And today, addictions would come in the forms of sports, media, entertainment, food, perversion, or the like. So you cannot be a leader and have addictions in your life. If you have to do something, and you just have to do it all the time, you are not self-controlled. That thing is controlling you. So if you just have to watch your football game every Sunday and then you start to get an attitude if you miss it because of church, you're not self-controlled, you're sports-controlled. And, and if, if you just have to, you know, always talk about girls and look at girls and you're always confessing to your accountability partner in your immorality, you're not self-controlled, you're perverted-controlled. What you want to do is get that out of your life. Now, everybody here can understand that something in your life could become that, could knock your alignment out of control. You have to use the Holy Spirit to look down deep within you and then to align those things to be in control. And some of the main things that I see today is sex, uh, sexual impurity, and food addictions, and then things to do with money, finances. So I see a lot of that being a common thing. You have to get your diet and your food under control, obesity, should be done away within the church. We love you none the same, but get rid of a food addiction. Amen. Let's let's lose the weight. Let's get active. That's why you have physical activity as a part of being an SUM student. And then sexual perversion. Cut it off in Jesus' name. Amen. Be a eunuch the rest of your life. Amen. Just do like what Paul said. Go all the way. Amen. Cut it all off and you will be okay. And then, and then money. Stop loving money. If you love money and your life revolves around, I gotta have it, gotta have it, gotta have it. I gotta wear this. I gotta wear this. I gotta, I gotta have it. You gotta get that out of your life because this is the way the world is. The world loves sex. The world is struggling with its addictions to food, and the world is struggling with its love of money. When we come to the church and we are leaders, we want to be outstanding among our culture. Amen. Number five. Praise God. Let's do it respectable everybody say respectable respectable means to live a life worthy of respect from others to be dignified to have the areas of your life and finance integrity speech time management and overall lifestyle to be something of adoration where somebody says i want to be like that people should be able to see your family and say i would like a family like that People should be able to see your children and say, I would like to have children like that. People should be able to see your ministry, what you do, and the leaders and the servants among your ministry should be able to say, I want to do that. 
And so that's why we don't put novices in ministry. In the times here as a church plant that I have put novices in ministry, I have paid the price for that. Because what has happened, those of you who have walked around here, when we've done that, they have stumbled and fallen and caused disrespect to the church. So be respectable. Now, once again, is this saying I'm a perfect husband, I'm a perfect wife, I'm a perfect, you know, business person, whatever you may do? No, this is saying I am doing it in such a way that it is outstanding, it is above the norm, and people admire it. Maybe not everybody admires it, but we could see, like I as an elder now, a part of the presbytery, the fellow group of elders, could see in your life that we respect you, people following you in the youth ministry, out in evangelism, they respect you, so then we bring you into the inner circle because you are respectable amen then number six is hospitable hospitable seems pretty easy not much not not too many things complicated about that simply means to have a home and a heart that is always open to fellowship discipleship and comfort for the people you minister to so a home and a heart that's open for fellowship let me help you out in the dorms if you can't share your cocoa puffs now with your with your roommate what makes you think you're going to share your cocoa puffs with the guy that's down the street and you bring them into your house amen If you won't let your pastor have the applesauce when he opens up the refrigerator and says, oh, that looks like nice applesauce, what makes you think you're going to share your applesauce with sinners? And I'm not calling any names, okay? I'm not calling any names who don't share their applesauce, all right? So what you have to do is you've got to be able to share what you have. And if you can't do that now in the dorms, you're not going to do that in ministry. Get rid of selfishness. Let everything come to you and through you. You have a car, that's for somebody to go to church with you in. You have extra clothes, that's somebody else's wardrobe. You have extra food, that's somebody else to come to dinner with you. Amen? You, you have gifts in your life, give your gifts away. As we learned here in this church as well, the greatest gift is the one given. It is better to give than it is to receive. Amen? And one of the things in hospitable, by the way, nobody wants to come into a mess. Keep your house clean. If you can't keep your room clean, you're not going to have a clean house. Learn right now to keep your house and room clean so that when you have guests over, they don't feel uncomfortable. They see that there is something clean in there. And this has nothing to do with money. This has nothing to do with money. Adolfo will tell you we were in villages and, and huts and little square roof, uh, uh, you know, uh, banana roof buildings with uh, cinder block walls that were perfectly clean. Because the people dust it every day. Every day they dust it, then they throw down the water so the dust doesn't come back there. It sticks to the floor. Are you guys with me? You keep it clean. You do it as unto God. Hospitable. Number seven, able to teach. Able to teach seems to be another obvious one, but this can become difficult because to teach you must first be taught. And it means then to teach sound doctrine of the New Testament, to be passionate passionate about the truths of God, and to share them commonly or in a common language for the, uh, uh, the, the believer or person in your fellowship. So I have to be able to communicate it in a common way for the common man. We are, once again, praying and, and speaking about D.L. Moody. He spoke in the common man's language. That's how he was able to transform people's lives. So you do not want to teach in Greek if the people don't understand Greek. You can give them some Greek words here and there, but you just don't want to come up there like Mr. Highfalutin, you know, smarty pants. You want to apply the word of God to the youth group. Amen? You want to teach the people in your small group with such a way that they understand the word being taught. So ask yourself, in what I am what, what I am teaching, is it being understood? Now, if I can make that sentence understood, I'd be halfway there. Is what I'm teaching being understood? 
Do you understand me as I'm teaching to you? Thank you. I have now fulfilled the obligation or the requirement. You must be able to teach, so you first must be taught. Otherwise, you don't know what you're talking about. That's why we got this YouTube generation that watched some Paul Washer videos and some John Piper videos, and now they think they know the whole Bible, and they want to rebuke pastors on Facebook. They need to go back to the kindergarten of the Bible. Amen? They know not what they do in Jesus' name. Amen? Sometimes I just look at them acting all wild and crazy, and the best illustration that I have is my baby pooping and peeing on herself and then giggling afterwards because that's all they're doing. Why does the church collect tithes and offerings? That's all because of greed. I saw a YouTube video that said there's no more tithes and offerings. I just look at them as a child that doesn't even know what they are doing. They are sitting in their own dookie because they themselves haven't been taught, but yet they want to teach everybody else. Amen? The first thing we will teach you here is the ministry of cleaning the bathrooms and vacuuming the floors. If you do that right, we might trust you then with the Bible study. Amen? Praise God. Don't fall for those YouTubers. Look at your neighbor and say, those are some weirdies. Amen. Those are some weirdies out there, okay? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Not given to drunkenness, number eight. Not given to drunkenness means to drink wine into excess or to be drunk. And so we believe that biblical wine of that day had alcohol. We believe, along with the Assemblies of God in Australia, that has gotten free and drinks alcohol, that it is okay for a church or a Christian to drink alcohol. But look at your neighbor and say, but not here. <laughs> so we are in total abstinence. We as biblical theologians and, and Dr. Brown, Old Testament theology, and almost every matter of fact, there's not one commentary from a Ph.D. person that I've ever read that, that says the, alcohol, uh, the wine of the Bible was not alcoholic. And I've studied quite a few. And so I challenge if anybody wants to believe abstinence is the biblical view, just show me an Old Testament scholar that even says that. I don't even know anybody. All I know is old Pentecostals back in you know, the day who used to say and didn't know what they were talking about. There's no way around it. Jesus drank wine like how there's wine today. It it wasn't grape juice. It wasn't that they didn't have water. The Romans had one of the best aqueduct systems built in that day. They drank wine. The problem was is that in the day of Paul, like today, people drank wine and got drunk. If you do that, you cannot be an elder. And since our pastor comes from the Assembly of God background, I have come from the Assembly of God background. We practice abstinence. That means nobody drinks if they want to be in any form of leadership. Amen. If you drink NyQuil, that's okay, but just that's all when you're sick, amen? Anything other than that, you're okay. Maybe a little food that comes with the alcohol, they cook it up, but that's good, right? Like, what do we like? They pour a little vodka on. What's the flaming cheese? Saganaki. Saganaki sounds like a, what does that sound like? A sake. But it comes with whiskey, Greek cheese. They flame it up. Now, that breaks out the alcohol. Don't look at me crazy, okay? Just don't drink it. You can eat it if it's been cooked out. Don't be drunk either. Let's keep going. Number nine. Not violent, but gentle. Not violent, but gentle. So don't beat people up, but be kind to them. This means to be patient and loving with those you are correcting. Amen? See, I know what it's like for my dad to paddle me. And I also know what it's like for him to gently put back on my pants and send me back out to my room. Amen? Or to, to wherever I was in the restaurant to put me back out there. So if you come in and you receive a spiritual spanking, I don't want to be violent and just go, you know, then just spiritually spanking. Some of you guys go, man, remember, reminds me of 2002, man. Vietnam in the church, and we were all spanked that day. But listen, we as leaders don't just want to, like, just torture you guys, but we want to be gentle. 
So the idea there also goes into fighting. We don't want you going around fighting and beating people up. Uh, defending yourself is another thing that's, that's debatable by some Christians. But this is obvious not to be violent. Don't be violent in your words. Don't be violent in how you treat people under you, but be gentle. Amen? Not quarrelsome. That means you don't fight uh, with your words. You're not continually arguing. Quarrelsome doesn't mean that you, uh, you drink the Kool-Aid. The quarrelsome means that there's a right way to handle <clears throat> Excuse me, your disagreements. And so when you have a disagreement with somebody, you go through it, uh, Matthew 18. You come to them first personally. Then if they don't listen to you, then you bring in another elder or somebody in the church that you trust. And then they, along with the witnesses, try to resolve the situation. And then if it's not resolved, they tell it to the church. And somebody's being excommunicated, treated like a pagan or a tax collector after that. Amen? So the bottom line is, don't be a quarrelsome person. Don't always put your big old butt in the way. But, Pastor, I thought this, 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 and this. But, Pastor, I thought, just get your big old butt out the way. Amen? No, no, y'all didn't get that. I'm going to say that again. I want you to vacuum the room. But it just was vacuum. No, no, no. Get your big old butt out the way and vacuum the room. Are you listening to me? I want you to go down and, 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 and salt the driveway. Wait, it was already salted, and, and this isn't, no, 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 no more excuses, amen. Just say yes, sir, or no, sir, amen. And most of the time when we're asking you to do something, yes, sir, is the right, the right way, okay? If you have a problem with that, we now have all these technologies. Record it one time on a good day on your phone, and if you're gritting your teeth, it's hit your phone, so it will just come out of your pocket, yes, sir, and then you just go and do it. Fake it till you make it. I don't care if you like doing it, amen? Just don't fight about it. You will not last long with a stinking, winking attitude. See, you all want it now the easy way, but wait till you guys are in leadership. You're going to be telling people to go on Weight Watchers all the time and get rid of that big old butt. Because you will not want that butt in everything you do. you got to get that butt out the way. Come on. Here we go. Now we go to verse number 11. Not a lover of money. See, this is one of the things that we were talking about being self-controlled. And he specifically labels it lover of money. So we know it's very important. Lover of money can mean to be not a generous giver, but rather a generous spender. Or, excuse me, to be a lover of money means to be a generous spender and not a generous giver. And today they say the average American is $5,000 in credit card debt. So how can you be in the ministry with all of this credit card debt because of your own consumptions and then yet be generous? You'll be tied down to the things of this world. And so what I, pray, uh, what I ask you to do is prayerfully, prayerfully seek out the Lord and find a standard of living that God has given you as a dream, as a goal, and work up to that. So for my wife and I, we wanted to live in the kind of house we do, in the kind of neighborhood we do. But guess what we had to do at first? We had to live in the ghetto, baby. We had to live in the ghetto. So how many know Lawndale is the ghetto? When you get arrested in front of your own house and put a glot to your chest because you are running out of the cold from your car by a police officer, Jonathan, you live in the ghetto, don't you? True story. The glot was put against his chest because he drops off something in a car, runs to the house, the police officer, woo, run him down, and you guys told me, I'm not lying, right? Put the gun to his chest. You live in the ghetto. You live in the ghetto when you're riding home and you just look at the dudes. You don't even wave to them. And the next thing you see is a brick and a bottle hitting the car, putting a dent in your car, and you have to speed off and go away a different way to your house. That happened with me and another person. You know you're in the ghetto when you're coming home from church and the police officer arrests you, puts you outside the car, and you have to convince them you're a pastor from church going home. 
You know you're in the ghetto when you have a shotgun under your bed and you have gangbangers in the front and they're leaning against your window and you can hear their exact conversations and the police officers take a half hour to get there. You guys are just looking at me crazy. Come on. This is the ghetto. Now, we moved on up to Harwood Heights. Finally got a piece of the pie. Moving on up. Woo! To the Harwood Heights. Yes, we did, baby. Yes, we did. Moved on up. God said, I want you, Paul, no more. But guess what I had to go through? I had to go through Longdale to get to Harwood Heights. Are you listening here? That's what it takes. And so don't love money, honey. Do not love money, honey. Look at your neighbor and say, don't love money, honey. Do not love the greenbacks, the dinero, the cash money. Love Jesus. Seek him first and his righteousness. Matthew 6, 33, and all these things will be what? Added unto you. The Bible says that he takes care of the sparrows, the lilies of the field. He knows what you need. So how do you break the back of, of, of a loving money? How do you break that back? You become a giver. You, you give your tithes, and then you give offering as seed. Some might say I'm broke, busted, and disgusted. Some of the poorest people have been the people I've known to love money the most. I ain't giving you $10 because all I got is $10. See, they're stingy. I'm not giving you a ride. I don't have gas money. You see, when people talk stingy, talk to me, they have a poverty mentality. And you know how you break the poverty mentality? Just like how you break the greedy mentality. You give your money away. Give that $10 you have left to the Lord. Get it out of you. Get that spirit out of you so that you can love God with everything that you have. Amen? Because when God put a dichotomy together, you love me or you love blank, he Put the very special thing there. It could have been you either love me or you love sex. You love me, you love the devil. You love me or you love, you know, something else, religion. He put love, you can love me or you will love money. Because he knew, as, as Paul said, that money and the love of it is the root to all sorts of evil. Stay away from it. Amen. Number 12, somebody say amen. Come on, manage their home well. This means husbands are the leaders of their house, wives submit unto their husbands, and together they are a demonstration of the body of Christ. The husband laying down his, wife, his, his, his life for his wife, as in Ephesians 5, the wife loving her husband as unto Christ, them having a unity, becoming one, inseparable, even uh, in any circumstance they can make it through it because of God's power in their life, arguments, disagreements, losses, jealousies. In that marriage unit, there can be power to overcome everything. Then out of that unit, he comes children to bring in to this world and to raise them up, as the Bible says, in the fear and admonition of God. Your house should look like that. The man should be like Christ laying down his life. The woman should be like the church loving her husband. And the children should be obeying and honoring their parents. That is what your house should be like. And if your children get to the age of 18 and they don't serve the Lord, that's when you tell them we're changing the locks, Bubba, and you need to find another place to stay. Because you are responsible for what goes on in your house. That's what I believe. So if they're, not, if they're of age, they can leave your house. But in your house, they're coming to church with you. Amen? There is not an option. You are coming to church with me. We will tie you to the top of this minivan like the Christmas tree. And we 
we will drive you down the road kicking and screaming. Mama will go to jail tonight, but you will be in this church. Amen. One of us will go to jail, the other to the hospital, because I will beat Jesus all up in you tonight. Because the Bible says, spare the rod and not the child. Amen. And just line them up against the wall. And you guys are laughing and giggling, but some of y'all didn't have Christian parents like that. I had a parent that, that would, would spank me anytime I talked back about the church. I went to a private Christian Holy Ghost filled school that had a paddle that had that scripture on it, spare the rod and not the child. And I know what it's like being in first grade, hitting the couch and Mr. Van Leuven spanking me like he's in the World Series knocking a grand slam out. And even hearing the steps and the wind pass by, I could hear him. I could hear it to this day, Jesus. Your household will serve the Lord. Amen. You say, you're scaring me. I'm trying to scare the hell out of you. What do you think I'm doing up here? Amen. Get your life right and get your family right. Amen. And 13, not a recent convert. So that means you have to be serving the Lord for a while. Every church has a different way of looking up to this. But I would say when you understand these things, you demonstrate it. And when I look at you, people are following you. You're getting close to that place. You're getting to that place where you can become a leader. And as we said before, in our church, we start you off as a servant leader, a deacon. Then you move up into a teaching leader, an elder. And so that's how we do it. Every church does it differently. They may call them different things. But here's the point. You do not want to be a recent convert so that you do not blow yourself up and everybody else with you. Amen. And that's what we see happen is that we see some passionate people for Jesus. They've been saved three months. They come into the church. They're all excited for some crazy reason. I gave them the keys to the F-16, and they're dropping Hiroshima's on everybody. Amen? Some odd reason we gave them the keys to the tank, and now they're bulldozing everybody. Everybody's going to hell. Compromises everywhere. We will not do that anymore. And that's why, because you don't want to be a recent convert. So for some of you, it may be a year process, growing you up, maturing you. Others, two years, three years. Who knows? how long it will take, but be a part of that process in the church you're in and be faithful to it. Amen? Oh, praise God. Would you stand to your feet? The last point. Must have a good reputation. This goes back to the same idea that the Bible talked about when it said above reproach. You must have a good reputation. Today, we're asking the question, what does it take to be a leader? Vanessa, would you come, please? Praise God. How many are just happy you just heard 14 points? Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I thank God for his word. Good reputation means when your name comes up among others, they say good things about you. When your name comes up among the body of Christ, what do you want them to say about you? When your name comes up, do you want the other elders, the other leaders to go, ah, Man, sometimes she's got an attitude. I don't think she's ready to lead that. No. You want to be able to have a reputation that when people, they, uh, they hear you. Did I say Vanessa? I am so sorry. Leelani, will you please come to the keyboard? Y'all looking at me crazy like right now. Everybody's looking right past me. She's like walking up there picking up an instrument. You've been getting pretty good at that. There you go. You look like you know what you're doing. Let's give it up for Vanessa. Following orders. See, there it is. Aye, aye, Captain. Let us do these things that the leadership that God asked us to be. Is there a difference between the first century leadership and the 21st century leadership? Is there a difference between what God asked those people to do and what God's asking us to do? Not at all. God is asking us to do the same exact thing. 
I do not want to get to heaven and to see the elders of Timothy's church and they'd be radical Christians. And then we get up there like we're the, uh, has anybody ever seen Dodgeball with Vince Vaughn? And I'm not saying that they're going to be the ones like uh, the other guy either, all crazy, you know, wearing the tights and all that. But I don't want to be the reject church up in heaven. I don't, you know, in, in our school, I, uh, in our high school, I had a, had a, um, a, a part of the school that was called E-Hall. And, and E-Hall is where the special ed kids would go. And if you wanted to get out of class, you would kind of act a little E-Hall-ish. Are you all following me? <laughs> and then you would want to be in the E-Hall classes. And then so me and my friends, to kind of tease these dudes who were trying to be like Riri's, we called them the E-Hall Posse. And we would walk by them and go, hey, 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 what's up, E-E-E? You know, we would make fun of them. Because we knew that they were acting as rejects. Anybody ever seen that one with Johnny Knoxville? He pretends to be retarded to be in the Special Olympics. Will you please not do that here? Do not try to convince me you belong in E-Hall. Do not lower the standard. Do not try to change the standard. But aim for the standard. All of you here have the same opportunity to do what the first disciples did. If we were right now outside and we were doing a a physical competition and there was a high jump of this high and one person ran and they went to hit it, but they didn't clear it, the rest of you wouldn't say, well, I just quit. Some of you would get determined, wouldn't you? You'd say, let me at it, baby. Come on. You're going to put all your force and all your energy in it and you're going to try to clear it. Excuse me. And then once you cleared it, you would start helping the others and you would say, come on, you can do this. We needed to get to the point that we desire leadership. You made a decision to be a leader by joining this Bible college. Don't try to convince us that you can't live up to that standard. Don't disqualify yourself as an easy way out because you will find yourself quicker than you can imagine being in a Jonah situation. I'm hearing Adam say, man, Adam knew he had a call on his life. But at a certain point, he made some mistakes. He went out and lived a worldly life but came back. He knows what it's like to have been out there already knowing you have a call. I know what it was like when I was 15 years old. I had about a three-month stint or a three-month passion for Jesus in my youth group. Starting school clubs, I had a fire in my heart. My friend and I, Wayne Northrup, we went out and fed the poor, Pastor Gabe, and we were radical. But you know what? The pastor... Pastor Tim, who went home to be with the Lord, PT is what we called. Pastor Tim said, Joe, you're not ready to lead the, the, uh, the school group at your school. You're not ready. He could see stuff in me. And you know what I did? I quit on God and leadership because of that. And those three years that I went through were the worst years of my life. Drugs, alcohol. I was arrested eight times in those next three years. Caught two STDs. Lost friends because of drugs, suicide, walking off of a cliff on LSD. Carried a gun underneath my my car seat. 
couldn't sleep at night unless I was obliterated out of my mind. I didn't get high. I lived high. Every day I did drugs. And the, and the highlight wasn't drugs. The highlight was cocaine and crystal meth. The highlight was the harder drugs. And when I came back to Christ at 18 years old, everybody said, yeah, man, you're so radical now. Because I was speaking in tongues, you know, the day I got saved. And within a few months, I went out to feed the poor. And, and, and you know, and all these radical things started happening in my life. But you know what the problem was? My best friend was already two years in Bible college. There's people I have on Facebook right now that are my friends because he went to his high school, won them to the Lord, and they are in ministry now. And I wasted my life. You see, the call will not go away. The Bible says the call and giftings of God are without reproach. He will not take them away. It will be on your life. As a reminder, this was meant for God. The singing gift wasn't meant to fill stadiums. It was meant to bring the glory of God into this place. Your teaching gift wasn't to be a CEO in a business. It was to teach the Word of God. Your ability to travel and do dynamic things wasn't to help make your company international. It was so that you could have the gift to live in a hut in Nigeria and plant churches among the African people. Some of the saddest things I hear about are when pastors get out of ministry and they go into the things of the world. And they forget all that God did for them. I'll never forget... The first job, literally the first job I had with Christians, it was a Christian company of painting. And I was dribbling pizzas when I first got saved, but then I met a Christian in church. He said, come paint with me. And he said, but let me tell you something real quick. I have a friend that went to Rod Parsley's Bible College that planted the greatest church in Bloomington, or Huntington rather, that they've ever seen, exploded to 500 people, packed out. He backslid, left his wife, got on alcohol, and I'm helping him out. He's a little bitter towards the church. Be careful around him. I'll never tell you the type of fear I felt in my life that day because I said, how in the world could that happen to him? And I heard him talk. Excuse me, blaspheme God. Here I was, a new Christian. Hadn't even gone to Bible college. Here this guy was radical, had already started a church, and now he is doing exactly what I had just been doing, smoking and drinking and talking about girls, and he's trying to get me to change my mind. But God says he will shake everything that can be shaken, that that which is his will remain. Some of you feel like there's a whole lot of shaking going on. You've, you, you may not go through what I went through because I had parents that were supporting of me. But maybe you don't have parents that are supporting of you. Maybe you have people that uh, want to abandon you now because they think you're wasting your life because you want to be a leader for God. Maybe there's people who are sizing you up already and they're saying, well, I'm at this college, I'm doing this. And what you do looks like piddly dinks to them. It looks like you're just playing in the, in the kid's sandbox. You need to make a decision today. I will be a leader. I will be a leader because it's a noble task. I will be a leader because it's a noble task. I want to bring people to heaven.
You've got to want this more than a doctor wants to become a brain surgeon. You have got to want this more than kids playing on baseball fields right now in 30-degree weather getting ready for the draft so they can play professional baseball. You've got to want this more than bodybuilders are going to the gym eight hours a day shooting themselves up with steroids. You have got to want this more than the rock and roll kids want to get on, on the next American Idol. You have got to want this. You have got to desire this. This has got to be the passion of your life. You have got to make a decision that there is no other option. I have burned every bridge behind me. This is my choice. My life for His glory. Say that with me. This is my choice. My life for His glory. Come on, say it again. This is my choice. My life for His glory. Now would you just raise up your hands and make a commitment of desire to be a leader for God. To be a leader for Jesus. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 heard the Lord say, Who will go for us? He said, Here I am, Lord. Send me. I'll go. Come on with hands lifted up. Hearts opened. Come on, leaders. Come on, preachers. Come on, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles. Cry out to God and say, Here I am. Here I am. It's all for you. Oh, God, here I am. Sing it out, girl. It's all for you. Jesus. We're just going to sing this in closing, but touch heaven today. Touch heaven today. Yes, God. Jesus, here we are. And say, here I am instead of here we are, please. Here I am, God. You know what you're facing today. Don't give up. Don't give up today. Jesus. Here I am. Here I am. Jesus. It's all for you. Here I am. Here I am. Come on, sing it out to God. It's all for you. Here I am. Here I am. If you need special prayer today, just come forward. I will lay my hands on you today in the name of Jesus. And you shall receive fresh anointing from the Father. As Philip called down John and Peter to Samaria so that they may lay hands on his new converts. We will lay hands on you today. Nancy, would you come and just start laying hands on them with me? Put up their might, please, so that their worship can be what leads us today. Jesus, fresh anointing. Fresh anointing. Brother, everything that's come against you has only been for your good. To purify your faith, which is more precious than gold. 
I hear the Lord saying unto you, do not look to the left or to the right because there's a thousand falling at one side and ten thousand at the other. That there is a call I put upon you, a hedge of protection. And as you put your eyes on me, I will use you to win a generation. Even as you're seeing now your friends come to the Lord, there's many more to come. So the Lord says, do not think that these trials and tests are something strange, but they are the very thing that are purifying your faith. Just turn up my mic a little bit more, brother. Come on, Jesus, receive it. Jesus, Jesus, fire over you today, Noah. Fire more, more. Put up my mic, brother. I can't hear it where I'm at. I need to hear it. Come on. Jesus. 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 Jesus, your time is now. Your time is now. It's time to give it all for God. Once and for all to stop looking at the past. Look to what is ahead. Jesus. Fresh fire. Fresh anointing. Jesus. Brother, I don't know what's going on. I can't hear them singing. I can barely hear the band. I want this to be passionate today. Put everything up. Let, let us raise the roofs, rock the rafters. I don't care. I want people to get out of their comfort zones today. Jesus. Thank you, my brother. Jesus, I need some encouragement from the worship today. Come on, brother, this is your time. This is your time. God's got his hand on you. You desire it. The Bible says if you ask, you shall receive. You desire it. So stop doubting it. Just live it. Paul said, my adequacy does not come from myself, but it comes from God. Receive fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Fire of God. Fire! 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 Jesus, I pray everything will break off of you. Everything will break off of you right now that hinders you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let it break off. Let it break off. I hear the Lord saying you appear to be confident on the outside, but on the inside you still question, is this for real? On the inside you still question, is this where I'm supposed to be? And you look good on the outside, but on the inside God wants to go down to the very depth of your core. He says you must surrender all. You must burn every bridge. You must make this all you have. As Peter said, there's nowhere else where I can go. I pray that the floodgates of your soul will open up today. And that the call of God will go deeper, deeper, deeper than it's ever gone before. Deeper than it's ever gone before. Deeper than it's ever gone before. That it would touch the deepest recesses of your heart. Flood waters come. Flood waters come. The flood of God. The flood of God. The flood of God. 
the flood of God's presence right now all over you. Jesus, receive it today. Fire, fire, fire. I wish I could have words for all of you today, but I'm going to honor the time. If you haven't been prayed for, just come to the front. I'm just going to lay hands on you and say, more Jesus, more Jesus. And I pray that God will give you today, not through a man, but by his spirit, everything that you all need today to accomplish the task ahead of you. More Jesus. More of your power and spirit today. More God. More God. More Jesus. More Jesus. You know what she needs today, God. You know what he needs today, God. More. You know what he needs today, God. You know what he needs more, God. More, more. Fire down in his heart today. Passion. Let him see strength and talent he doesn't even know of, God. More, more. Oh, let Jared be filled and filled and overflowingly filled with your presence today. Oh, I can't even resist but giving you but a word. God, put in my heart the moment I touched your hand that there is a revelation of his love coming to you so that you would know how wide, how deep, how high is the love of Christ. The Bible says that God is he's given you. He says, I have given you knowledge and wisdom, but I'm going to give you that which never passes away, love. The greatest gift, love deep within your soul I know all of you already had great callings and great moments with God but today my word is just deeper more more Jesus deeper God oh God let it touch every part of who she is today God oh God it's all for you Here I am, here I am, Jesus, and it's all for you. Here I am, here I am. I just hear the Lord saying to you, we know, we, you know that we've, we've seen the good works in your heart, and many times we, we say you're like a Martha because you work so hard for the Lord, but I want you to hear me today. There is a blessing in your life when you work for Jesus. There is a blessing. Do not scorn that heart of passion. Of course, you need to make time alone just with the Master, but I don't want you to get discouraged in your heart of passion. There were times in India that I had no more strength left. And in that moment of working and pouring out my strength before God, I felt closer to Him then than I ever did in my whole life. That is a gift to want to lay your life down for Jesus. I just speak that over you today so that you wouldn't doubt yourself, so that you wouldn't feel that sometimes, you know, while well, you could spend all day in your prayer closet. That's okay. Listen to me. God has not called us just to be monks on a hill somewhere. He's blessed you in the doing, in the working, in the going. 
When Jesus hung out with his disciples, he didn't just say, let's just all hang out and have some food today. They went out and did the ministry. I just hear that today over your life. You're a Samuel. You're in his presence while you serve him. Just receive it and find those times while you work to find rest in him. God, give her more today. Give her more. Give her more. In the name of Jesus, by the power of God, if you receive it today, just say, Jesus, I desire to be a leader. Today I desire a noble task. Therefore, God, I will go through the process of preparation until you say I'm ready. God, I am here for you. If you believe it, say amen and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. You may be seated in the house of God today. How many feel His presence?